big media companies like ABC, all these big uh, television companies and all the big radio companies like iHeartRadio. They are all very interested in talking to authors with fresh new ideas that have just hit the market. So as a content creator, you actually have a free pass to mass media that others don't. You're listening to The Author's Leverage, where it's all about your book and how to create a greater impact and a greater income with it. This podcast is for the author who knows there's more you can do with that book. Whether you're publishing your first one ever or you've written multiple bestsellers, the path to greatness begins by looking around and seeing that you are, at this moment, standing right in the middle of your own acre of diamonds. My friends, your book is a brand. I'm Parshel Tashi, creative entrepreneur and education design architect, and I'll be your guide diving into the minds of successful authors, renowned publishers, and industry experts to glean practical wisdom you can integrate into your book writing, launch, and marketing strategies today. You'll hear straight from the source how authors like you were able to publish their best work and build wildly profitable, successful businesses around it. Welcome aboard the Author's Leverage. Hey, welcome to the show. This is Parshel Tashi, your host. Today, I'm joined by Brian Heathman. He is the CEO of Made for Success. He's also the author of number one bestseller, Book Marketing Reinvented, which is a resource for authors and agencies focused on a successful book launch. Brian has also worked for three Fortune 10 companies, and he combines his marketing know-how with publishing to create bestsellers. And that's exactly what you're going to get today on this episode. Fun fact about Brian, he's a professional trombonist, and he was a ski instructor. Now, while we don't talk a lot about playing music and going skiing, we do talk about some really interesting topics that are certainly relevant to any author today, including how many books can a new author expect to sell? What are the key elements that go into a successful book launch? How does marketing differ, right? Whether you're a self-published author versus working with a marketing agency to get on the New York Times bestselling list. Again, I'm so honored that Brian said yes and that he's here with us today. You are in for such a treat. Get your pen, your notepad, get it out. This is going to be a good one. And now to the interview with Brian Heathman. Brian, thank you so much for being here. I just introduced you to the folks here on the podcast and really, really excited that you're here. Your wealth of knowledge is really going to be impactful and valuable to the audience listening. So to get things started off, would you tell us who you are and how you make the world better? Okay. All right. Sounds great. So, well, my name is Brian Heathman. Um, I live in Seattle, um, Seattle, Washington, and I'm the CEO of a publishing company, a book publishing company called Made for Success. And we've been publishing books for the last 15 years. And we have a specialty in working with um, nonfiction authors, primarily consultants and speakers, small business owners, helping them use their book to get major media attention to promote their either their speaking business or their consulting practice or the business that they own or 
even um, help promote a, um, a message for that goes out to the global platform. Um, so it's it's pretty fun work. Um, I would say, you know, half the work that we do is publishing, and the other half that we uh, of the work that we do is marketing. Um, and for today's author, uh, the modern author, with you know twenty five million different books that people have to choose from on stores like Amazon, um, having a uh, a good strategy to kind of cut through the noise um, uh, makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And I love that marketing has to be hand in hand nowadays as a modern author uh, when it comes to your book. So, but you're both an author yourself and you're in the publishing uh, side of things. So tell us a little bit about how you actually got into this. Well, yeah, it's actually kind of an interesting story. So I, um, <clears throat> I worked for three um, big Fortune 10 companies um, when I was first starting out my career and then um, started my first business um, when I was in my 30s. And uh, it was a dot-com um, based in Seattle, right there during what I call the roaring 90s. And uh, we had a great time starting the company um, and did really interesting work, cutting-edge work in the field of online advertising. And so when I sold the company and got out of that business, I wrote my first book. And while I was writing, um, I just happened to um, get into the publishing business in the audiobook space, but I didn't even know that I was entering, uh, becoming an audiobook publisher. Okay. Wow. So what I was doing is was making phone calls. So I went to a conference and I met a speaker. And the speaker and I happened to bunk together at a summer camp not too far from uh, Seattle. And we hit it off and became friends. We started meeting at uh, Starbucks for coffee. And we were talking about various things within the industry. And after about six months, he finally talked me into joining him um, with this company called Made for Success to um, start a new business practice. So we sat down one summer in my backyard and we made phone calls to the top 100 speakers in the world. And we asked them one question and said, we would like to license your keynote speech and uh, put it together in a collection that we're going to go out and sell um, through retail towns. And so we got lucky in that a lot of really big name um, professional speakers at that time would license us their keynote speech. So we got speakers like... Uh, Oh, like Zig Ziglar, who's big at that time. Tom Hopkins, who was a good uh, sales speaker, America's number one sales trainer. I've got Mark Victor Hansen, was the co-author of Chicken Soup at Soul. We've got Jim Rohn, who's considered America's favorite business philosopher, um, and and dozens dozens of others. So we took their keynote speeches, organized them into collections. And this is back when people were still buying audio CDs, partial and more that you'll go, who ever listens to audio CDs, right? <laughs> um, so, tapes. I remember tapes. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right, all right, there we go. So we put these things in together into 15 packs, and we put them in a gigantic box. 
and we sold them into Costco. And the shoppers at Costco loved these things. So we made a whole series of these 15 packs of audio CDs and, and became an overnight success. Wow. The audio world. And uh, what I didn't know is that I was coming into the audiobook business. So about three years later, we'd amassed a gigantic library of audio recordings from professional speakers. Okay. Um, it's probably one of the largest personal development audio libraries in the world today. So hmm. we've got a lot of really good content. Um, and so I took that whole library and um, put it into Audible. And in 2008, when we did this, we instantly shot up the ranks to become one of Audible's top 10 publishers um, because the content was popular and it was selling pretty well. Um, so that kind of got us into the audiobook business. And then um, about a year later, uh, we decided to get into the ebook business. And ebooks were brand new back then. So uh, I think they were about maybe five or seven percent of the total mixed sales. Um, so we put about 500 ebooks on the market. Um, and then about four years later, um, one of our uh, speakers that we will work with came up, said, Hey, Brian, um, it's great that you're publishing my audiobook and my ebook, but when are you going to start publishing real books? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, I just come out of the technology world and love this whole digitization of contents and uh, content. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, do I really want to be, uh, you know, printing inventory and putting them in cardboard boxes and filling trucks full of inventory and driving all the way across the country to fill up five different warehouses with, uh, with books and then shipping container ships overseas and flying, uh, 747s full of books on, uh, halfway around the world. I said, no, I don't want to hear that business, but here I am 15 years later, filling <laughs> trucks, uh, full of books and sticking books on airplanes and, um, importing container ships full of, uh, books, um, running a, uh, a global, um, print manufacturing organization with this wonderful thing we call the book publishing industry. Man, I love so, that. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of started off really small and, and has grown into something that it's been interesting, but there's been a, a lot of, um, I don't know, um, you know, lessons learned along the way, but here's a couple that are relevant for any author. Okay. So we're recording this, um, in 2021. And as of right now, at this time, 2021, 65% of the revenues in North America. Okay. It's different in Europe. It's different in Australia, but 65% of the revenues here are made off physical books. So for those authors who say, I'm just going to do my ebook or maybe an ebook and an audio book, and I'm not going to deal with a physical book. Well, you're going to take 65% of your earning potential and take it off the table. E okay. Second thing to know is ebooks. How big is the ebook space here in North America? Well, ebooks represent about 20% 
of the revenues and audiobooks represent right around 15%. Okay. So that's a, a really important thing to know um, that I'll probably make most of my money over half um, on my uh, physical book and the rest would be made up with my uh, ebook and my audiobook. Um, so then the next question that an author needs to ask themselves is how heavily do I want to invest in marketing, either with my time or with uh, marketing firms that I hire, um, to get my book into the 3000 some independent retailers and brick and mortar retailers, soap books across North America. Okay. So it's a great question, right? And for somebody who did really well getting products like in Chainwide and the Barnes Mobile and other places like that, um, we've done a pivot here in 2021. And here's why. We're actually pivoting towards electronic distribution almost primarily. Hmm. Now, why would we do that? Well, I went back and looked at my numbers. And for the first half of 2021, 77% of our revenues on physical books only were coming from Amazon. I see one, one retail and then all the others, you know, less than 25%, um, were coming elsewhere. So wow. the question is, if I have to, you know, do all this work to get my, uh, book into the 350 Barnes and Noble stores that are out there today, um, you know, how much effort should I be putting out in terms of time or money? Yeah. It's a big question for a lot of authors for sure. Yeah. Versus the time and effort that it would take to maximize your Amazon product listing. Hmm. Okay. Now, when you add up 77% of your physical book revenues, they're coming from Amazon. And then you add up ebook revenues coming from Amazon. And you add up the audiobook revenues come from Amazon, AKA Audible, because mm -hmm. Amazon owns Audible. Well, um, it's going to be over 85% <laughs> of all the revenues that you generate from writing from your writing. It's coming from one company. Mm. Okay. So what does it look like now in 2021? to make your Amazon product listing really good. And we'll be talking about that um, here uh, over the next little bit because that's a yeah. free author um, on uh, this, uh, you know, this listening to the show uh, needs to know. Absolutely. And I love it that your experience essentially started in a digital space first, then went to print. And, and now, like you said, 2021, things have kind of gone full circle and digital is just as important now. And, um, and before we actually hit record, you mentioned some of the authors that you have worked with as well. So who would you say, I'm just curious, who was the uh, most well-known or famous author that 
has been in your catalog, you know, and, uh, and what that experience was like. Okay. Well, um, you know, that's sort of interesting. So back when I mentioned I was in my backyard making all those phone calls and licensing keynote speeches, some of the authors that we licensed took up to a year to license. Mm -hmm. And uh, back in those days, um, there was a big seminar company called Get Motivated Seminars, and they would go around to key cities and do these big events in stadiums. Um, so I went to one of those big events in the stadium here in Seattle. There's 15,000 people there. And I got tickets to um, go backstage. And so I'm sitting in what uh, a professional speaker or a professional position calls the green room. Yeah. Why do they call it a green room? I have no idea because the room <laughs> was definitely not green. Yeah, they but, never are. <laughs> yeah. But it's the room where the speakers hang out and they, um, you know, the performers hang out. That's where they do their warmups and their snacks and, you know, and there's all, you know, kinds of things to kind of get things ready. Well, while I'm back there in the green room, um, I happened to meet Zig Ziglar in person. So oh. I stood there and talked to him for 15 minutes. Um, and when you talk to Zig Ziglar, who is the most, probably the most famous author in my network, uh, you don't do much talking. No. So what do you mean by So people who are professional speakers, um, they're talkers. Yeah. Right? So it's sort of like, I speak, therefore I am. <laughs> when you get in a conversation with these big mega speakers, you do a lot of listening. <laughs> yeah. I bet. And, uh, I, you don't do a lot of talking. But it was a it was a very interesting conversation. He was very interested in what we were doing because back then we were doing some kind of cutting edge things with, um, with material, um, that, uh, these speakers have a lot of, but, um, didn't have a lot of opportunity to generate income from that. Mm -hmm. And we'd figured out a way to do that. So, um, that was a super interesting conversation. And then that relationship developed that I became friends with Zig's son. And, uh, and we've now done business together for over 15 years. So that's amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. It's amazing. I love that. So let's, let's shift gears. Cause I know that a lot of the listeners as authors or those who are looking to become authors, uh, you know, the biggest concern is how am I going to sell these books? What is that going to look like? And so let's talk a little bit about that. Cause your, your, your expertise is really, uh, useful in this space. So. Um, for a new author, let's say, how many books can they expect to sell? And what does it really take, you know, to have a successful book launch? Okay, that's a great question. Um, all right, so let's, let me see if I can paint a picture. All right, so let's say in 2021, you were to line up every author in the world. Uh, and do you remember back in junior high or middle school where they used to line up uh, to go out to recess where, you know, the tallest person in the class would stand up, stand in one end of the line, shortest mm -hmm. person at the class would stand at the other end of the line. Okay. So let's say you lined up every author in the world, lined up like that. Mm -hmm. But instead of lining them up based on their height. They were lined up based on the number of books that they sell. Okay. All right. So 
in that illustration, the tallest author in the lineup would be uh, James Patterson. Okay. He sells the most books. The average author, let's say it's, uh, it's men and women all lined up. And let's say the average size, in, at least within North America, is maybe five foot six inches. Okay. Um, and they're standing that the five foot six inch person is standing in the middle. Okay. And then everybody else standing down the other line. Well, the person that's standing in the very middle of that lineup last year sold 50 copies of their book. James Patterson, the tallest person in that line, um, sold millions and millions and millions. And in fact, if you measured his height in this little illustration, he would be 75,000 miles tall. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. So in the book business, you've got this subsegment of authors um, that represent maybe 3% of the total author population, and they sell most of the books. And then uh, the books, the number of books sold kind of levels out. Average authors, 50 copies of their book. There were 1.3 new nonfiction books written in 2020. Okay. Now to put that in perspective, if you walk into a Barnes and Noble superstore that, uh, like a big one, like in Manhattan, and you saw all this sea of books on the shelves, they only stock 75,000 titles mm -hmm. at that store. And a small store will only stock about 50,000 titles. So if you have um, half the floor space dedicated to fiction and the other half of the floor space devoted to nonfiction, it's to make the illustration. Yeah. And um, you'll only get about 35,000 new titles on the shelf, despite the fact that 1.2 million titles were written that year. Okay. So less than 1% of all new books get into Barnes and Noble. And I know from our perspective, it's really tricky. We have to work really hard and do some very um, aggressive marketing to get our books on the shelf in Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's a good question. Um, you know, what can you expect to sell? Well, the average author sells 50 and you can sell over 50. Uh, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so, so what what are the elements uh, that are necessary? You know, an author that has a book and they want to sell way more than fifty copies. You know, what what things should they expect or be mindful of in the release and publish and launch of their book? Hmm. Well, there's a handful of things that matter a lot. So, <clears throat> number one, um, you have to have good writing. So, when you're writing a book and you're creating a, a, a product widget, a book is just like a widget, like a can of soup. Mm -hmm. The soup inside the can has got to be good, right? Yeah. Otherwise, it won't keep selling. The words inside your book have to be well-written or the book won't 
get word of mouth, which is how people usually buy books. You know, hey, I read this great book and you got to check it out. Um, so it's got to be well-written. Um, number two, you got to have a good title. So let's see. Oh, you know what? I read a book last week and you would really like it, honestly. Um, and it was called, ah, oh, shoot, what's called? Well, let's see. I'll tell you once I remember. Okay. <laughs> you never want that to happen. That's true. It, like, it, I can't remember the name, like, because <laughs> I'm excited and then, you know, you don't have the title. Like, dang. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to have a great title. Okay. Mm. It's got to be a time people will remember. And they don't grow on trees. So um, it's, it's not easy. Um, it, takes, uh, it takes us as a publishing company um, tens of hours to come up with a really good title for a book. And we do this every single day. Wow. Right. And everybody on my staff is good at this. So it just, uh, it, it doesn't really come organic. Then the third thing uh, to remember, have you ever heard that old adage um, that you can't judge a book by its cover? Yeah. Okay. So um, the furthest thing could actually be true. <laughs> if the book does not have a great cover, um, it's probably um, not going to get picked up. So um, you've got to spend some time uh, doing your cover. All right. So those are three things you've got to pay attention to. But um, awareness really is the key. So how do you generate awareness? If there's, you know, if you're competing against a million other authors and everybody's trying to get those 35,000 slots in a uh, Barnes & Noble, 7,000 slots in a Barnes & Noble, um, how, how do you generate awareness? And if you are interested in answering that question for yourself, because there are thousands of options to choose from, um, I would steer people to the last book that I wrote, mm -hmm. which was a book designed to help people generate a effective book. A book is called number one bestseller book marketing reinvent. So okay. I would encourage you to take a look for that book. Because it does answer the question of what do I need to do to generate awareness? And I've got dozens and dozens and dozens of ideas and case studies and stories that are in that book that will um, help answer that question for your specific book. Because it's different if you're uh, writing a children's book versus a cookbook versus a photography book versus a book on sports. Uh, which is a textbook. Hmm. So the question is different for everybody. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and then um, the other piece, if you're in the writing phase, if you're you know, still in the writing phase of your journey as an author, um, I would encourage you to be thinking about the hook. So the hook is the thing that you can basically um, hook potential readers with to encourage them to pick up and spend a week or two weeks three weeks with the book, because if there are 1.2 million choices for me to choose from as non-fiction reader each year, <laughs> okay, wow. uh, and I know it's going to take me three weeks to read a book, then the hook or the neat selling proposition, as I'm saying, uh, it's got to be pretty strong. Okay. So you want to be thinking about that hook from day one. Day one, right when you start writing the book, that's that's super important. 
Wow. So, you know, couple, couple little suggestions about what would be a successful book. Yes. Uh, I hope you guys took notes on that one because there's a lot of gems there for sure. Now, I know that some of the authors listening may have gone the route of self-publishing, right? So how does your, your advice, you know, how does that differ, you know, for someone who's with a marketing agency, you know, for a New York Times bestseller versus a self-published author? Oh, well, yeah. So, you know, so here's, here's the deal. So I used to work for a really large company and I was in the marketing department and my boss handed me a $2 million budget to go out and get my product, um, launched. And it took me a year. And so we ran promotions, we created signage, we hired a film crew, flew out to the East coast and, uh, we hired actors and actresses, and whole crew to service food and all these things. And then I went out and talked to the major television networks and bought airtime and spent every penny of that $2 million. Mm-hmm. But I was the guy standing around the water cooler complaining that how am I ever possibly going to launch this brand on a measly $2 million ad book? Because I'm competing with Lexus and Coca-Cola mm-hmm. and Budweiser who have a $200 million ad budget. All right. So when you think about it in those terms, how many book launches do you think that I've worked on that have started with a $2 million ad budget? How many book launches, let's just take off as well. How many book launches have I worked on? with a $200,000 ad budget. How many book launches have I worked on with a $20,000 ad budget? How many launches have been done $2,000 ad budget? And how many authors do a $200 ad budget to launch their book? Okay. And the question is, yes, to all those different budgets, there's $200 authors. There's $2,000 authors, there's $20,000 campaigns to launch a book, there's $200,000 campaigns to launch a book, and believe it or not, there are $2 million campaigns to launch a book by the real famous authors. So the first question that you have to ask yourself is what's your budget? Because if you're spending $20,000 to launch your book versus $200 to launch your book, there's, there's different options that you'll need to choose from. So the biggest question uh, that you do need to figure out is what, um, you know, what is the range of what I want to spend? Right. And, and as you do ask yourself that question, if you were to read number one bestseller, Book Marketing with Invented, um, there's a grid in the back of the book that helps you, it, it, it's a, actually a massive checklist that you can actually go through and decide which things are the yourself activities mm-hmm. that you can do yourself as an author and which things that you might need some help with. Are you an author and ready to leverage your book? Maybe you have a great idea for a course or program, but you need help fleshing it out with someone and making sense of what you have. 
If that's you, I want to invite you to schedule a free half-hour strategy session with me. We'll take a look at your content together, talk about your goals, and I'll provide my professional and honest recommendations. No salesy stuff or surprises. So to schedule a call, visit theauthorsleverage.com forward slash course strategy. All right, now back to the show. Absolutely. So budget, that and that, that was a great example because uh, even in your imagination, it's like, man, if I had a $2 million budget to promote anything, right, what could I do with that versus just taking a zero off and, and, and what we can do there? That's a powerful uh, image you just presented for us. So thank you for that. Now, I know, too, when it comes to books, a lot of authors utilize that, um, you know, sort of as a stepping stone to other opportunities to monetize and to leverage their expertise. And speaking is one of those things. So hmm. with the book that you wrote, how can that tie into authors who maybe are looking to that direction to also speak? Or, you know, in our case, we help authors take their book and create them into courses. So hmm. what are you finding is, uh, is useful for them to understand and know about Okay, now you have your book and what it can create from them on the other side. Well, yeah. So let's take a look at this from the perspective of a content creator. And a content creator is, can be an influencer. Mm -hmm. They can be, they can be um, creating a course, like a, like a video course, or they can be writing books. Okay. In all three of those cases, there's one common denominator to um, being successful and getting the word out. And, um, as content creators, you have a superpower within your ability to get the word out. So it just so happens that big media companies like ABC, CBS, C, CNN, Fox News, all these big, uh, television companies and all the big radio companies, like the big uh, conglomerate iHeartRadio, um, they are all very interested in talking to authors with fresh new ideas that have just hit the market. Okay. So as a content creator, you actually have a free pass to mass media that others don't. So <clears throat> let's say I were a mid-level manager at a large company, how would I ever get the attention of ABC uh, or NBC Nights or Good Morning America, right? They would never have an interest in talking to me. There's no, there's no fault. There's nothing that would make me interesting enough to have on their show. But I just finished a video course, um, create creation on, let's say, you know, how to, you know, uh, how to do sustainable philanthropy through crypto funds. Mm -hmm. well, decided to build a course on that. Um, well, there's going to be a lot of people who are really interested in talking to you about the details. Now, if you write a book on it, that's a pretty tangible thing that people can hang on to. And I think if you develop a course, um, that also puts you in the same uh, department because it's the exact same process to come up mm -hmm. with content for a course as it is to write the table of contents in a book. They're the, the, yeah, you, you almost get a two for one when you write a book because then it's easy to go in and create a course. Absolutely. Not, not easy. Not easy. It's never easy to create a course. And no, it's, 
part. But it's a good starting point. It's a good starting point. It's a good starting point. It's it's getting a a flat running head start. There you go. Yeah. Um, But uh, but you do have a free pass to the media, and that's the superpower that authors and course creators and content creators have over the average person. So I would really encourage you to you to leverage that. Now there's two ways to leverage your free pass. One is you could hire a publicist and a publicist or a public relations firm. Their specialty is making pitches to the media to um, get you on their shows. The second way to do that is a do-it-yourself campaign, which I wrote about in number one bestseller using a service called Help a Reporter Out or Harrow, H-A-R-O. And Harrow will send you three emails per day with requests from reporters looking for people with expertise. So those are great ways to do that. Now, when I launched my first book, which was called um, Conversion Marketing, um, and it's all about how to convert website visitors to paying customers, right? I used Harrow and was able to get in Inc. Magazine and I was able to get on NBC News using Harrow. So it really works. It's very effective. Okay. Um, and I wasn't just an average person coming in. I was an author. Author. Right. <laughs> so that, that was the difference. That was the key difference. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and that, and what you just said is just so powerful. Just, uh, essentially if you have that and that's, you know, you know, everyone listening, that's the title of this podcast is the author's leverage, right? If you have a book and you are an author, there's so much that's there. And in this case, you also get a free pass to the media. (laughs) You can get media exposure just from your expertise and positioning yourself really well. Now shift you know, to today, right? We've had the pandemic. There's a lot of things that have shifted in the economy and, and, and how we spend our time, how we learn, um, and, and so many other things to have changed with that. Um, but it's, it's predictable. It's unpredictable. I should say, we don't know what the future always holds, especially with everything that's been going on. So how, from your perspective, how, how has this changed the book industry? Hmm. Yeah. Well, huge changes really over the last two years. So like I mentioned earlier in the show, we spent a lot of time and a lot of energy getting products on the shelves of Barnes and Noble stores and in a whole network of indie bookstores. And things have really changed. Consumer buying habits change perhaps permanently as a result of the COVID lockdown and every bookstore within North America closing the doors. Mm-hmm. And we saw a huge surge in business going to Amazon. So I'm a big believer today as a publisher, somebody who makes a living selling truckloads of books, right? I'm trying to sell as many books as I can. And the way we're doing that right now is through optimizing everything that Amazon has to offer to an author. And um, Amazon has been around since 1994. They started off as a book seller. If you can remember back that, that long, they were actually just an online bookstore. Um, and over the years, they've developed a lot of technology products that are author based. And there's a few superpowers on Amazon that an author can leverage that a normal seller on Amazon cannot. Hmm. And 
um, just recently to add to the equation, um, Amazon has, um, created a platform for selling digital advertising. Now, when you think about digital advertising, and this is kind of the topic of, you know, this first book that I wrote, Conversion Marketing, um, you know, the big players in online advertising will do with Google AdWords and then Facebook came along, um, with their ad platform and became very big and very powerful because of all the targeting people on Amazon. But guess who the third largest seller of digital advertising is today? It's Amazon. Okay. So, um, buying ads on Amazon requires a degree of, um, technical sophistication. Mm-hmm primarily in the field of SEO or search engine optimization. So, um, optimizing a product listing on Amazon requires some certain, some SEO skills. Okay. Uh, it takes some research. It takes, um, daily monitoring of your ads to optimize your bids. We actually use an artificial intelligence tool. Uh, to do that for the dozens of ads that we've got running on a day. Um, so, um, the whole Amazon optimization scheme is really bold key. Now, if you want to see exactly what we do and get the exact checklist of all the things that we do to optimize a book launch on Amazon, I would encourage you to go to madeforsuccess.com and click on the on the product that says Amazon optimization. It's a publishing product that we have, but we very open-handedly list the bullets, all the things that we do within an Amazon optimized campaign. So if, uh, if you do want to, uh, cut right to the chase and see exactly how we're doing things from somebody who makes a living shipping truckloads and books all around the country and flying planes full of books all around the world, um, that I would encourage you to go to, um, made for success. Um, check out that checklist. Absolutely. Thank you. That that's a, a great resource. I encourage everyone listening to go and check that out. Uh, this has been such a great conversation, Brian, and I wish it could continue. <laughs> uh, but I do want to be sensitive to time. We got to get back to work. Right. Um, but as, as we're wrapping up, let me ask you another question that, uh, that just came to mind. What is it, what's the one thing that you wish more authors knew? Well, um, I believe the one thing that probably comes to an author's mind last, but is the one thing that makes the biggest difference in the success as an author is, um, what the industry calls your platform. Now your platform can be your social media following. It can be your email database. It can be your radio show. It can be a podcast show. Um, it can be anything where you've generated an audience or it can even be your speaking circuit. Okay. Um, that platform is by far the single most important thing to an author. Here's why. When your publisher gets the book, the, um, publisher is counting on the author to open up their platform 
because the most interested people in the world that will buy your book are the people who follow you on social media or people who are in so. And then the second most, second longest audience is the publisher's lists. <laughs> okay. So we specialize in nonfiction books and we cultivate a ecosystem of people who like to read nonfiction. So, and that's why we don't publish children's books because if somebody, um, wrote a children's book and I sent it out to my list of nonfiction readers, they would be confused. Yeah. And nor would they buy. Okay. Um, so working with a publisher that has a specialty in your genre of writing is key. Wow. This is so, so helpful. You guys hear, heard it from Brian, uh, and I want to acknowledge you as well for just your dedication to this space and your commitment to continue to do amazing work from the digital space to, you know, filling up trucks and airplanes full of books to get this information out there. So uh, there's so much to learn from someone like you, and I uh, sincerely appreciate your time and sharing this knowledge and insight with, with our audience here. So as we wrap up, I uh, would love any closing thoughts that you have to share, as well as where people can find out more about you or connect with you further. Well, thanks, Marcel. So, yeah. So, um, I would like to kind of end with some encouragement. Um, I know that writing is tough. It's a very solitary endeavor. And oftentimes we, as authors, I asked myself this while I was writing. And then I've heard people make the same comment hundreds of times, um, with the authors that we've published, they say, you know, I spent all this time writing this book and will anybody really care? Right. Or is this only something that matters to me? Okay. That's a natural thing. And a lot of people probably get discouraged and never publish their manuscripts. This manuscript, Conversion Marketing, sat in the top drawer of my desk for four years before I finally said, nah, screw it, I'll go ahead and publish it. <laughs> because I was, I was questioning, will anybody really care? Yeah. So my encouragement for you is to get your ideas out there. Um, if you've got a story burning on your heart, um, write it. Um, there are, there are all kinds of things and all kinds of people that will care about the same things that you do. Um, so I definitely encourage you to, uh, to take the step to things forward. Um, for anybody that would like to, uh, get in contact, I would love to hear from you. Really. I, 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 I truly would. Um, I would encourage you to visit madeforsuccess.com um, and uh, drop me a line and say hello. We have a system called an editorial review where we get to know both you and your writing uh, by um, actually doing an edit to your manuscript for 3,000 words. And we do that absolutely uh, at charge because we're trying to find great books. Because remember, I'm trying to fill up planes, lots of books. Yeah. <laughs> I, so we're looking for manuscripts and I would encourage you to drop by our website and, um, and check this out. Very good. We're going to link all of those things to our show notes and other places where you guys can listen and watch this podcast. So thank you so much, Brian, for your time and being with us today. I've learned a lot and I know that the audience has learned a lot too. And, uh, 
that does it for this episode of The Author's Leverage. You guys can check us out for sure on uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast. But this is a resource that's for authors and how we can put out our best work and trust that it's going to touch and make an impact. So again, thank you for being here, Brian. All right. Thanks for having me on your show. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Author's Leverage. You can subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. Hey, do me a favor. If you found this helpful, leave us a review and share this episode with someone it could help along their journey. Check out more resources. Visit theauthorsleverage.com. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time.